Bible study. We bless the Lord God Almighty for the gift of another week. Blessed be God for his awesome love and mercy. We thank you, O oh God, and we bless your thank wonderful you, name. I'd like to welcome everyone who has come to join us and those who are coming to join us. Blessed be God. Let us bow our heads, our hearts to pray. O thou spirit of the living God, we come into your most holy presence, Father, that your spirit may breathe your life into us, that your word may come alive, and that your spirit may take us over to make us into vessels bearing rivers of living water to the world that is thirsty all around us. For it is in Jesus' awesome name we have prayed. Amen. 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 Okay, it's a pleasure to welcome everyone to um, Antioch Bible Study. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will minister to us. Okay, Amen. we continue our study. John chapter 7, we are reading from verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, our Lord Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this is spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him. But no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look for no prophet. Has a reason out of Galilee. 
and everyone went to his own house. Amen. Amen. His first, our Lord Jesus Christ's first mention of the promise of the Holy Spirit appeared to have been at this Feast of Tabernacles, where the people niggled him to no end about his mission and about whether he was indeed the Messiah. What our Lord Jesus clearly revealed here to us is that people are free to doubt who you are and what you are called to do. That should in no way make you and I entertain doubts about our calling and our mandate. Because that's what our Lord Jesus demonstrated here. It doesn't It doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter what they feel or say about you. What matters is that you and I know who we are, who has called us, and what he has called us to do. The vision must be clear and well articulated inside us so that no one is able to shake the solid foundation on which we stand. Said our Lord Jesus in verse John 27, 28, 29, you know me and you know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. But there were those who believed in him despite all the efforts by his detractors to undermine his mission. We come to the last day of this feast. That's when he made this pronouncement. Now, this feast, we need to quite a bit understand a little bit more about it. Leviticus 23, 33 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles. For seven days to the Lord. The first day there shall be a holy convocation, shall do no customary work on it. Verse 36 For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. Again, in Numbers 29, 35. On the eighth day, you are to hold a solemn assembly. You are not to do any daily work. Present a burnt offering, a fire offering, as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year, all unblemished. So let us take a brief look at the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast was celebrated on the 15th day of the month, Tishri, answering to the last half of our September and the first half of October. 
This month was the seventh of the ecclesiastical and the first of the civil year in the Jewish calendar. The feast took its name from the tents which were erected above the temple in public places, in courts, and on the flat roofs of their houses and in gardens in which the Jews dwelt. For eight days, they stayed in these makeshift um, constructions in commemoration of the 40 years during which their fathers dwelt in the wilderness. It was one of the three solemn annual feasts in which all the males were obliged by the law to appear at Jerusalem. This feast was celebrated in the following manner. All the people cut down branches of palm trees, willows, and myrtles, and tied them together with gold and silver cords or with ribbons, which they carried with them all day, took them into their synagogues and kept them by them while at prayers. The other days of the feast, they carried them into the temple and walked around the altar with them in their hands singing, Hosanna, save we beseech thee. The trumpet sounding on all sides. So this feast, St. John seems to refer to in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, where he represents the saints standing before the throne with palm branches in their hands, singing salvation to God, etc. Now, on the seventh day of the feast, they went seven times around the altar. And this was called Hosanna Rabbah, the great Hosanna. This was enacted at our Lord's triumphal entry to Jerusalem when the people sang Hosanna to the son of David. In Matthew 21, 9. But the ceremony at which the Jews testified to having most joy was that of the pouring out of the water, which was done on the eighth day of the feast. A priest drew some water out of the pool, Siloam, in a golden vessel and brought it into the temple. And at the time of the morning sacrifices, while the members of the sacrificial animals were on the altar, he went up and poured this water mingled with wine upon it, the people all the while singing with transports of joy the words of Isaiah chapter 12, especially chapter verse 6, with joy we shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. And to this part of the ceremony, our Lord appears to allude in verse 37 of this chapter. All this is from Adam Clark's uh, commentaries. Our Lord Jesus chose this last day of the feast to announce the coming of the Holy Spirit. You can sense that indeed salvation is of the Jews. Practically everything is rooted in their religion and the old covenant. The promise of the Holy Spirit is also rooted in the prophecies as the apostle Peter reminded them on the day of Pentecost when the promised Holy Spirit came down on the 120 disciples who were waiting in Jerusalem in the upper room. Acts 2.14 then Peter stepped forward 
with 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, let us go to this invitation because that's the one that actually applies to you and I. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. This is the New Living Translation. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who will be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because our Lord Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. In this part of this visit to Jerusalem, remember he came from Galilee for this feast, we must bear in mind that the feast had ended. The rituals were over. The water had been poured from the pool of Siloam to water the sacrifices on the altar. The people were ready to depart, having fulfilled their religious obligation. Our Lord Jesus then stood and shouted to the people as they got ready to depart. Anyone who is thirsty, may come to me and drink. This is not the thirst for ordinary water, but a thirst for the water of life, which he had mentioned to the woman at the well in Sychar. In John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The invitation, it was for the people to come to him to draw the water of the spirit to satisfy their spiritual thirst. It was an open invitation. Anyone could come. If anyone is thirsty, anyone, that is all inclusive. And that's important to note. The invitation, therefore, was for the people to come to him to draw the water of the spirit to satisfy their spiritual thirst. Hitherto, they found excitement in the rituals of religion. But now, they must come with their spiritual thirst to our Lord Jesus Christ, to drink of the spirit of wisdom and power. 
so they can become moving fountains of living waters of wisdom and power to their world. That is the invitation. That's what I say to many believers. Remember that Christianity is not a religion, you know, because religion consists of rituals. It is a relationship and is very dynamic. And when we come and grow in our relationship with him, then the Holy Spirit transforms us into his image and character so that our lives will reveal his life to our world. That is what it's all about. Okay? That is what it's all about. Questions arise out of this invitation. One of them is, is this. Was the Holy Spirit in the world before Pentecost? Indeed, he was. For the prophets spoke by the Spirit long before Pentecost. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Besides, we heard about Simeon and Anna who came by the leading of the Holy Spirit to our Lord's baby dedication in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. Okay, so now we see the Bible says the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And then he may not, because he was old, he may not have been going to church or to the temple every week. But on this particular day, he came by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. So the Spirit was already functioning in individuals here and there. Now, our Lord Jesus threw further light on this. Because it, it's important to know that this was a, 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 a bone of contention. You know, many people didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they said, you couldn't be a Christian unless by the Spirit. So what other baptism do you need? The Holy Spirit brought you to Christ, and the Holy Spirit will keep you in Christ. Our Lord Jesus threw further light on this when he told the disciples the difference between the Holy Spirit's walk with man before Pentecost and his walk from the day of Pentecost onwards. This he revealed in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you 
and will be in you. Now, the difference, therefore, is that in the Old Testament and up, up until the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was with believers. The church of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was with many of them, the prophets, the prophet kings. But the Holy Spirit did not begin to indwell man until the day of Pentecost. This is necessary. Um, this is a necessity further explained by our Lord in John 16, 7 to 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So it is important to embrace the ministry of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. It is the indwelling presence. That is the big deal. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer. It is by the power of this indwelling spirit that each believer in Christ is empowered to lead a godly life that glorifies God. A lot of people forget that that is the primary, primary uh, purpose of bringing the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we will lead lives that glorify God. We will lead lives that God can use in the world. It is important to note that. Yes, the Spirit works wonders, signs and miracles, but the greatest reason for that gift is to produce vessels that God can use. This is the new covenant prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. It is amazing when we become conscious of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We start to yearn for what the Apostle Paul called in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the communion of the Holy Spirit. So important in spiritual life, not only to guide, to instruct, to correct, but to, to, to direct in every detail so that we can live lives that glorify God on the earth, number one. And number two, as we see, we can be led in detail, like our Lord Jesus Christ was led here in detail, to go only when the signal says go, and to stay until the signal says to stay. Now, the, you know, in the wilderness journey, we saw that God Almighty did that for Israel in the wilderness with the pillar of, of fire. Uh, uh, by night and the pillar of cloud by day and, and, 
And when the pillar of clouds stays, they must stay. And then when it leaves, they must travel. I said to quite a few several years ago, I used to say that if you want to know the primary reason why the, the, the Father sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, that reason is to control you and I so that we will follow God, so that we will do as he says, so we will go where he sends. That's the purpose. So that we will escape all the confusions of self-will due to pressure from self, the world, and the devil. When we hear God clearly, then the pressure of self, the flesh, the world, and the devil loses their power over us because we have the clear word from God. So it is to the spirit within that we must turn to have Christ dwell in our hearts. Everybody must cultivate dynamic relationship within dwelling spirit. He dwells in our hearts by faith so that we might be rooted, like the scriptures tell us, so that we might be rooted and grounded in love. You know, I've always said that walking in love is one of the toughest things we are called to do because people offend you right and left, you know. But the spirit empowers us and enables us to walk in love. That's why Jesus said, if you're thirsty, if you, if you are frustrated by repeated failure, come and drink of the spirit so that the spirit can energize, can empower, can guide, can direct, can give insight. So you and I can be rooted and grounded in love. And that love is both vertical and horizontal. You know, like we said here repeatedly, the vertical love is the controlling love. But when I love the Lord my, my God with all my heart, that love translates into obedience. So then I do as he says. And no, it doesn't matter who benefits. You see, that's why I can love. I can be rooted and grounded in love. Whether I have passion or no passion, I will still do as the Spirit directs. That's the awesome thing about a spiritual person. We always do as the Spirit directs when we are spiritual. Okay. So, Ephesians 3.14 says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. That's when you and I need strength. Even if we are challenged, threatened, afraid, so long as the Spirit is holding steady inside, and we are hearing the word of God clearly. We are energized to stay the course until heaven comes through. That he will grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, many people will associate, and rightly so, 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, with the manifestation of his gifts, particularly of speaking in tongues, and sometimes with interpretation of tongues, those are also awesome things, you know. And like we are studying, that the, 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 in the evening prayer meetings, when you speak in an unknown tongue, you may not understand what you are saying. But the spirit through you is speaking mysteries to God. Okay? And so when a man is praying in an unknown tongue, he's communicating deeply to God. But as awesome as all of that is, even with the gifts of power, faith, miracles, healings, as awesome as they are, if the life is not being transformed, then it's synonymous to the pipe, like the preacher said, is synonymous to the pipe. You are carrying water to many people, but you are not drinking any. And that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And the Bible does not expect it to be so. For the scriptures say that the husband man must be the first partaker of the harvest. And so if you and I are carrying rivers of living water and our lives are not being transformed, then we are just like a pipe. They're just like a pipe. So it's important to, to, to understand why our Lord Jesus Christ was so passionate about this invitation. He shouted, whosoever is thirsty, whosoever desires to live the God kind of life, let him come to me and drink. But someone may ask, is there a difference between the convicting Holy Spirit that draws a person to Christ and the baptizing Holy Spirit that produces the, these diverse rivers of living water. The direct answer is no. The Spirit is one. But the difference lies in the thirst. The convicting Holy Spirit is what the Father does to bring a person to Christ. As our Lord Jesus explained in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the convicting power of the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. But storing up the diverse rivers of living water is about thirst. And we see this in Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. In their thirst for this endowment with power, 120 people waited in the upper room for 10 days praying. The Bible says in Acts 1.15, in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And this is what happened to the thirsty. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this test must become an unquenchable test that ensures that the Holy Spirit is ever present with you and I, anywhere and everywhere and at all times. You know, some people may not realize that. The fact that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I speak in tongues, I manifest gifts. It does not, it's not the end of the anointing. Daily, daily, like our Lord Jesus Christ taught us, is sufficient unto the day. You know, sufficient unto today. The anointing of, of uh, tomorrow is not given today. Every day has its own anointing because every day is different. Every day is different. And so we, we, we learn to regularly uh, come before the Lord for in refilling, refilling, you know. And why do we need that? Because our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he taught us that. In the matter of the woman with the issue of blood. That's where he mentioned it. He was going to the home of um, um, Jairus. And a, a woman came and touched the hem of his garment. And then Jesus stopped. Our Lord Jesus stopped and said, somebody touched me. And the disciples were like, everybody's touching you. Say, yes, everybody's touching me. But somebody touched me. And how do I know? He said, that you left me. I, I, I released an, an anointing for healing, left me. That is it. And that's why Mark 135 says, after that Capanum experience, I call it the explosive Capanum campaign that started in the synagogue, ended up in the home of uh, Peter where the mother-in-law was healed. And then in the evening, the whole place was filled and he healed every one of them. The Bible says in verse 35, rising a great while before dawn, our Lord Jesus departed to a quiet place for refilling, for refilling. And if he had to do that, always returning to God, because everything he did, he did under the anointing. If he had to do that, then so you and I must rise up and say, Lord, fill me anew. Today is a new day, fill me anew. May your Holy Spirit endure me with power from on high so that I will live the life to which I have been called and walk the works to which I have been ordained. Everybody must learn to do that. You may ask for A and B and C, but don't forget to ask for, to be refilled, to be anointed afresh for a new day. So this must become an unquenchable thirst that ensures that the Holy Spirit is ever present with us anywhere and everywhere at all times. That's what makes the difference. That's why a Christian can be alive, vibrant in their faith, loving the Lord, because they, they're always asking to be anointed for every day of their lives. The more we drink of him then and from him, the greater will be the diversity of the rivers of life within us that can meet diverse needs in the lives of those whose life we meet. Whether their needs are spiritual, 
physical, emotional, or material. So it's important that as we go through life, we meet a lot of people walking in dry places in different areas of their lives. And God would have positioned us with the anointing and the capacity to touch them to the glory of God. Amen. Now, quickly we go to uh, um, verse 38. He who believes in me, our Lord Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, this is the secret then to the rivers of living water. And that secret is believing in him. Believing in him. This, this, this is where the difference is, you know. Believing is not a mental ac accent, you know. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Of course I believe in Jesus. You know, who doesn't believe in Jesus? Everybody believes in Jesus. <laughs> but this is much more than a mere mental accent. It is a deeply felt bond of love, you know. You see, a lot of people don't understand what it means to believe in Jesus. There is a love because of the understanding you have of what transpired on the cross of Calvary. Your heart is filled with gratitude and love because Jesus died the death that you and I would have died. And so as a result of that, growing out of that is love and loyalty to him. So he's not talking about people who have the mental ascent, who are religious, they, 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 they stride into church, perform the rituals, you know, and then they, they leave. And then they, they never really think about him again, you know, until maybe the next time they come. No, this is not the sort of thing that our Lord Jesus Christ had in mind. You know, it is about men and women who come to him, believe in him, love him with all their heart. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, love is faith that provokes a compelling. The word is compelling, love and loyalty. 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. That's it. When you have an understanding of Calvary's love, it is compelling. I don't have a choice. He died the death I should have died. I am obligated to live the life he should have lived. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. That's what, that's what tells you you believe. That those who receive the death he died on their behalf should no longer live for themselves, but live for Christ who died for them and rose again. That's what tells you you believe. You know, it is not that you, you saunter into church you know, and, and, and go through the, the worship service, get excited for two hours, and then walk away and continue living your life. No. These are not... These are not Sorry the people that um, um, 
our Lord Jesus Christ was referring to. You know, those who believe in me, those who have come to see my mission, understand what I've come to do for them. They are the ones that are going to be filled with these rivers of living water. So when we believe in him and receive him, we must go on to believe him. You know, some people believe in you, but they don't believe you. When, when you believe him, then you do as he says. That's the difference. When we love him, we believe in him and we believe him so we can do as he says. We can think his thoughts, share his attitudes and teachings about the life to which you and I are called. So as we seek daily to be conformed to his image, diverse rivers are forming within us to water patched lives sent to us by God as we journey through life. Opinions are divided about Jesus both then and now. John 7, 41 says, Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. There was a division then. There's still a division now. But listen to me, my brethren. What matters? Is not what others are saying about him. It's not what another person thinks about Jesus. What matters is what you and I think about him. It is a personal relationship. Yes, a lot of people, they will read the same Bible and all they're looking for is what to criticize. You know? But when you read the Bible, you discover the love of God through Christ and your heart is connected to him, ah, then your life begins to be transformed so that you, will, you too will become an answer to those who are thirsty, who are still searching, who are still looking for the Savior to restore them to fellowship with God. Oh, I always share the testimony of my conversion because I don't know what my life would have been if I didn't give my life to Christ that day on June 28, 1970. I heard his voice calling me as I walked away from that meeting. That voice, he said to me, go, that's where you belong. You don't belong to where you're going. I'm eternally grateful to God that I responded to that voice. For looking back, I thank God. Someone under the sound of my voice may be in the valley of decision. Let me plead with you from the depths of my heart. Waver no more. Surrender to him as your personal Lord and Savior. Not in the ritualistic sense. No. Surrender your heart to him. 
determined to love and follow him. And you will see, you know, like David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You will see how he cares for us as we travel the highway of life through time to spend eternity with him in heaven. Perhaps there is someone who had known him before under the sound of my voice. You had passionately followed him before, but today the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they have dampened your enthusiasm and passion for the king, things of the kingdom of God and is choking the word and fruitfulness in your life. That's a tragedy. That is a monumental tragedy for someone who had tasted of the grace of God to have gone back from it. That's a tragedy. And if you're under the sound of my voice, I plead with you, use this moment to say to him, Lord Jesus, please return. Oh, thou sweet Holy Spirit, return. Let my heart be your dwelling place again. Amen. Now, as you try and bring this to a close, remember, the meaning of John 7, 44. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. That's the power of walking by the Spirit. No man laid hands on him. They could not take him because it was not his time. That was why he insisted on going when heaven signaled that it was okay to go. That is the life that is calling you and I to live, to follow God in detail. Not being presumptuous in any area, but always waiting for him to signal. This is the time to do it. This is the way to do it. This is how to do it. And follow him. You know, sometimes when you follow, you know, you don't see clearly, you know, where you're going. But because it's a journey of faith, but you remain patient and faithful, knowing, knowing that the one who is leading you sees the way very clearly. That's the journey of faith. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to guide us in detail. And that's why the scriptures say in Romans 8, 14, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. My brother, my sister, that is the life we are called to live so that nobody can take us or harm us if we follow his plans and purposes as well as his timing. Whatever he allows, like the Bible says, no temptation. Every temptation you are going through, every test and trial you are going through is common to man. Say, so God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tested above what you are able to bear. But with every temptation, he will provide a way of escape. As 1 Corinthians 10, 13, provide a way of escape. 
so that you and I may be able to bear it. That is it. Our Lord Jesus Christ followed closely. And then in the end, the cross was his only challenge as ordained by God. May that also be your testimony and mine. Amen. 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 We have, we have a few questions, doctor. Someone says, when the scripture said that we speak mysteries to God by the Holy Spirit, is it a mystery to the praying believer or a mystery to God? No, it is a, it's a mystery to, to, to us because we are speaking to God and we are also not speaking in the language that people understand. So it's a mystery put to both us and God. And that's why the Bible says, if you want to understand what you are saying to God, you know, then you need the gift of interpretation. And, and also, you remember, we, we, we made this emphasis at the evening prayer meeting that because it's a, it's a, a mystery, tongue is a mystery spoken to God, okay? So when, when people interpret uh, tongues and they speak to men, there, there is a problem there because what was being said is being spoken to God. Anyway, that's a, a matter for another time. But it's a mystery because neither you nor the people around you understand it. Okay, someone wants a clarification. Is praying in tongues the same as praying in the Spirit? And if yes, why did the Apostle Paul admonish the Corinthians not to pray in tongues in public gatherings except there's an interpreter? Well, um, many people will tell you that uh, praying in tongues is actually praying in the Spirit. Yes, same thing. Nobody can pray in tongues unless by the spirit, unless, unless they're just making noise, you know, like, um, um, you know, we used to get in those days, uh, people will come in and say, oh, I need to uh, bask him of the Holy Spirit. So oh, I thought you spoke in tongues. He said, ah, I speak, oh, but because I was the only one not speaking, and so I started making my own noise. <laughs> you know, quite a few people did that in those days, but I don't know why they still do that today. Maybe they do, you know, but, um, but, um, uh, speaking by the Spirit, yes, it's the same as, as uh, when we pray in tongues. Because the Bible says, when a man prays, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays in, um, I think it's verse 3 of verse Corinthians 14, but my understanding is unprofitable. So, so, so that, 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 that is it. So, but then um, bringing a message in tongues also is by the Spirit. And, and it's to recognize. That's why sometimes if you've been in certain services, somebody is um, uh, 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 bringing a message in tongues. Somebody with a gift of interpretation says, there is nothing to interpret. They're just worshiping. And really, that is often what it should be because they're speaking to God. Thank you, doctor. The third point says, does the devil understand tongues? Because the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that there are tongues of men and tongues of angels. You you have to go to meet the devil to ask him. <laughs> Does the devil understand tongues? I hear people say that uh, uh, the, the language that you speak, the devil doesn't understand. I don't know where they got that from, but um, it's neither here nor there anyway. What matters is that you're speaking to God, whether the devil mm -hmm. understands. I don't know. I really don't understand why that is relevant to some people. I don't understand. Because uh, whether the devil understands it or not is immaterial. What is important is that God understands it. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. And then, fourthly, on the day of Pentecost, the people that gathered understood the tongues that the apostles spoke 
So why is it that it is not common in our day? Now that is that is interesting because that's 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 where um, um, a lot of um, misunderstanding exists. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Remember, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote clearly that when you speak in an unknown tongue, you are speaking to God. So the people were not understanding what the apostles were saying. No, it is God. The apostles were speaking to God. It is God that was giving them understanding. And, and, and what understanding was it? They said they were hearing the manifold. You know, I, I forgot exactly the way they, that the, we, we are here in that Acts chapter 2. You know, yes. the manifold, uh, something about of God. Wonders, wonders of God. Yes, uh, yes. So that, that is it. They were speaking these wonders to God. And God was making the people understand it. Because tongues is to God. So I hope you get it. So it's God that made the people understand. It's not that the, 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 the disciples were speaking all those languages, Parthians, uh, Greeks, and all of that. No, no. But they were speaking mysteries to God, and God was giving the people interpretation in their language. Yes, sir. Okay, then, then it, was, it, was, it was nice for you to connect the dots for us um, about Jesus fulfilling the law as it relates to Leviticus and Numbers. But the question is, for a person to grow in faith, is it a must that you must understand how all those things connect? It helps, you know, because um, you have to, um, that's why I say salvation is of the Jews. You have to see how the Old Testament, you know, uh, it, it fits into the new, you know. So, so, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles also uh, has the Day of Atonement. And, and, and all of that is now in the New Testament. We don't need to do all their rituals to, to receive atonement. No, we only come to Christ by faith. And then our sins are atoned for, you know. So, so it's nobody saying that um, uh, um, uh, we, because it's part of the Bible, really. We need to see the new in the old, you know, and, and, and see how they connect. It helps faith, you know, because faith comes by hearing. And the word of God. And, and doctor, so what happens to all the evangelical churches that really promote only the New Testament? In fact, a lot of people give out only the New Testament in terms of Bible. So what happens? A lot of people then never get to read the Old Testament. Well, well, I think um, giving out the New Testament may have more, maybe more than uh, um, um, a theological thing. It may also be economic. Because um, um, it's easier, particularly those who distribute this in uh, um, communist countries, it might be easier to slip um, New Testaments into places. You know, like Brother Andrew, when he was uh, smuggling Bibles, God smuggled Bibles to communist countries. You know, you can pack a thousand New Testaments, he says, in the, underneath the seat of your car like that, you know. And also costs, you know. So, so, so. But that is not to say that we should. In fact, or if you do not study the Old Testament, you will not understand the um, uh, all the challenges when a man is walking with God. 
I mean, look at look at Exodus. If if you want to walk with God, if you want to do anything with God, you need to study Exodus to see all the frustrations that Moses went through. You know, something he sensed he was called to do from birth, at least after before he left his mother's house, he knew that uh, he had that destiny to help his people escape slavery. You know, and he tried to do it himself and failed. And then when God called him at 80, he suffered a lot of frustration, you know, trying to get the thing to work. But finally, he started working. That's, all those are the things that encourage us. Whatever you are, whatever God is asking you to do, and you're feeling the pressure, you know, no movement for, 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 for. You see, the thing is, you can tell the story in five minutes, but it's a life you lived over 10 years, you know, mm. or 20 years. You can tell the story in 10 minutes. And somebody hearing you might only get the glimpses of all the high points. <laughs> but um, you didn't add when you nearly quit. You know, when you almost quit, like I tell people, I almost blew, you know, starting life support. Almost, only two, only two weeks before the breakthrough, I almost blew everything. You know, so, 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 Old Testament tells you and I how to really do it. New Testament is the Holy Spirit has come down. The Holy Spirit is in the people. We don't find too many uh, um, practical examples to assist us. But, I mean, look at Samson. I mean, who will read the, the Samson in the book of Judges and wouldn't learn what immorality can do to ruin a man's spiritual life, you know? Oh, yes, the Old Testament is very important, you know, because it tells us also about the lives of men who walked with God and the challenges they faced. Thank you very much, Doctor. Will you pray for us now, sir? Okay, let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that the entrance of your word gives light, gives wisdom, gives understanding. Oh, we yield our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, come into our hearts afresh. Anoint us afresh with power that we may hold steady no matter the challenge. And may your wisdom be distilled. That's your sweet, small voice. Let it be distilled to our hearts to guide us in every situation. That we may walk in your will, follow in your steps, and do as you say. That your glory may come down upon us and through us. We thank you, O oh God, for you love us so much. And you want us, every one of us, to succeed in our calling in you. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you, Lord. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're now going to take our offering.